Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. All right, get your Bibles out. Ephesians 4 is where I'd love for you to be. Ephesians 4. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back right in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, be sure to not leave today without one, guys. It's, it's one of the most transformative things in your walk with Christ, so make sure you have one. I'm just going to be honest. We're going to hit the ground running this morning. Yep. We're going to hit the ground running, and, and, and we've been in this series called Transformed, and, and we've been talking about how we are a transformed people being transformed into a maturity like Christ's fullness in every way possible, right? We've been talking about that. That's the process of growth, the process of sanctification or transformation. And we're seeing it happen in right thinking, in right feeling, and in right doing, right? We had those big words, right? Orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy, right? And last week, we started asking the very important question of how do we get there? How do we get to this place where we've grown into this really beautiful maturity as new creatures in Christ? And and we talked about this. We said we are transformed by faith, not works. We argued that from Galatians 3, and it's so important. It can shift how you think about everything in the Christian life and how we grow as believers. And today, what we want to do is we want to answer the question, what does it mean that we are transformed by faith? That's what we're answering today. That's where we're looking at. And, and some people, I, I don't know if this actually happened. Nobody mentioned it last week or in this past week. But, but some people, when you read that, you could think, oh, so I can just wish for it and it comes? Like, I, it's like a, like, a, like a genie in a bottle sort of thing and I can have it after I rub it hard enough, right? Like if, if, I, if I, I just ask for it, it's mine. Or, or some people might look at this and say like a name it and claim it sort of thing. If you have enough faith, then you'll be more like Jesus, right? So... Let's be clear, we're not talking about that. That's, that's not what we're intending here. We're asking the question, what transforms us? And we're saying it's by faith. But what do we mean by faith? And, and we've already looked at one passage of Scripture that tells us very specifically what it is that transforms us. We looked at it back in Romans 12, if you can remember, which is on the screen now. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the what? Y'all, the kids were louder than this. Let's do that. Let's try it again. By the what? That's incredible. Yeah. By the renewing of your mind. In other words, we are to receive this transformation by being renewed in our minds. In other words, if we're going to just jump to a major truth about the Christian life, it's this. Mind renewal is the essential means of true transformation. Mind renewal is the essential means of true transformation into Christ's likeness. And guys, this is so vital. Like if you long to break loose from conformity to this age, if you long to be transformed and new from the inside out, if you long to be free from mere duty-driven Christianity and to do what you love to do because what you love to do is what you ought to do, or if you long to... Offer up your body as a living sacrifice so that your whole life becomes a spiritual act of worship and displays the worthiness of Christ above all the rest of the world. Then give yourself to this, to mind renewal. Pursue this with all of your might, the renewal of your minds. 
Why? Because mind renewal is the essential means. It's the key to transformation in the believer's life. Let's bow our heads and pray. That's it. Lord, I'm just kidding, by the way. We're not done. I'm kidding. I know some of you think it's about time you got a five-minute sermon after, like, how long I preach usually. I'm working on that, by the way. It's not easy. We're not done yet, though, because we just said mind renewal is the essential means of true transformation, but what on earth is that? What's mind renewal? What does that even mean? That's what we need to answer right now. That's where we need to go when we talk about what it means to be transformed, okay? And that's why you're in Ephesians 4. So Paul kind of touches on it in Romans 12. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul also goes much deeper in this concept in Ephesians 4, verse 23. It's an incredible thing. So uh, let, me, let me remind you that we were once in Ephesians 4 already with talking about what it means to grow up and be, be mature. And if you jump down to verses 17 and 19, you can see that, that Paul is talking about those who don't believe in Jesus, who are just aren't convinced of who Jesus is. And, and because of that, they're darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of their hearts. So then they give themselves over to all sorts of crooked and wicked things, right? And then we get to verse 20. And this is where we're gonna pick up. So if you're in your Bible, go ahead and read along with me. I'm reading from the CSB. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on this new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and the purity of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. So, so just look at this real quick, right? In verse 22, we find out like there's this old self that is, that is corrupted by just crazy, deceitful desires in us. And, and that's the old self that Jesus set us free from. When it says sin no longer has dominion over you, we've been set free from having to be controlled by it. We've been, it's, and, and now in, instead of just being dominated by it, we can take it off like, like clothing that's covered in whipped cream. Right? We aren't trapped in slavery to it anymore. That's the old self that's being put off. And then there's this new self that we can put on in verse 25. This new self, one that's actually created according to God's likeness, to like his image, right? It's in the righteousness and the purity of the truth, which, which means that we're, we're working out in our experience what is already true about us. That's what we're growing into. That's transformation. So we have this old self that's being put off. We have this new self that's being put on. Verse 22 and verse 24, but right in the middle of that is verse what? 23. And it says that this is the key. Here it is. It says what? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Some of your translations might say your attitude of your minds. 
Guys, we see that this is integral to taking off the old self, the old dying corrupt self, and putting on the new eternal godly self. It's renewal of the mind. So again, we saw it in Romans 12, we see it here. We see that it's in the present tense, meaning it's happening right now in our lives as believers. And it's in the passive voice, meaning we're not actively fighting for it, we're just, what, we're receiving it like a suntan on a beach. Right? We're, we're sitting there and it's, it's happening to us. It's done to us, renewal of the mind. And when we talk about renewal, what do we typically associate that with? We, we, we do what? Oh, hey, you need to go renew your subscription to Netflix or Disney Plus. Right? Or you need to make sure your, your membership to, to, to Costco is renewed or, or to the country club, right? What does that mean? You just get to keep the amenities for longer as you pay for it. That's not renewal in scripture, by the way. They stole that word and made it their own in a silly way. To renew here means literally to make new again and again and again and again. Guys, this isn't restoring. It's not a process of restoration, taking the old things and making them better. It's new after new after new coming in over and over and over. So just like, you know how when we can grow weary, Scripture says that we can trust in the Lord and trusting in the Lord will renew our strength. Make it new again and again. Or what about like waking up every morning to renewed mercies? Because they never wear out. And they're always fresh, always new. So that's what we mean by renewed. And, and we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And this right here is where things get a little cray cray. Every single one of us, as image bearers of God, we have an inner life, right? We have an inner life out of which we live. Scripture calls it the heart, right? Sometimes. Other places, it calls it the spirit. Something within us out of which we live, right? Jesus, remember, he affirmed this, right? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the inner life, we find words coming out. Or out of the heart, out of the inner life come lust and pride and idolatry and all these things. We live out of the inner self. And we find in that inner self, in our spirits, in our hearts, so many important things about us, right? We find our desires, our longings. We find, we find our values. We find our appetites. We find our personhood or our personality. We find our soul. We also find our way of thinking. We find our convictions. In other words, we find a spiritual mind. The scripture calls it here. It's out of this inner life that we live, out of this spirit, and every single one of us are uniquely crafted in that way. It's what makes us who we are. But we have to ask ourselves the question, if, if our heart is like a factory producing things, do we find, if you can look at your, it's yourself with some, some just accurate self-awareness, do you find everything that's coming out of the factory of your heart to be just spot on and perfect and good in every way? Do you find that to be true? Let's all just look left and right together at the same time. Mm -mm. No, not everything that comes out of our hearts is good. Even as believers, 
And that's why several months ago I preached that we shouldn't follow our hearts, we should lead our hearts. There's a big difference. And in everything that is involved in our inner life, in our, like our desires and our values and our personalities, Paul twice pinpoints that the very thing that when it's renewed leads to our transformation. In the inner life, there's one thing that he says, if that is renewed, you find transformation. And what is it? Say it out loud, people. Our minds, our spiritual minds. It's our beliefs, it's our convictions, it's our rationale. In fact, technically, it's your faith. Your faith is everything that you're truly convinced of in your inner life. And your faith became real the moment that Jesus was received into your inner life. The moment you believed in him from your heart, from your inner self. That's faith. And faith is everything that we're truly convinced of in our hearts, in our inner lives, which means that we're transformed when our faith is shaped and molded. We're transformed by what we believe, in other words. So why this? Why our minds? Why specifically does he target the renewal of the mind? Why not like our emotions or our our values or or our desires or appetites? Why not our personalities, right? Why Why not those things? Why does he target what we're convinced of? Why does he target what we believe as really true? When that's renewed, we find transformation. And here's where we are going to enter into what psychologists discovered about how we operate as human beings that God designed when he said, hey, I'm I'm making these creatures called humans. And, 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 And what we're going to do right now is we're going to call it the anatomy of the inner life. The anatomy of the inner life. Now, just pause for one second. Jeff, if you want to go and get ready, don't mind him. Don't mind him. Back to me. The anatomy of the inner life. Guys, so in, inside of us, I, I've already mentioned some things, but there's some key things that we find going on in our inner selves. And, and, and we find these things, convictions, emotions, and actions, right? So by conviction, convictions, I'm talking about your faith, what, what you're truly convinced of, what, what you'll die for, what you really are, are, are moved by, your ways of thinking, your rationale, we also find our emotions, right? We find what we feel. We find our passions and values. And then we find our actions or our will coming out of that, right? We mentioned that earlier. What we do comes out of these things. And, and, and a lot of us kind of just say they're all there, but they're not interdependent on one another. But in actuality, they're totally dependent on one another. And here's how we tend to operate. And it looks like this. What we're convinced about creates emotions within us. And then those emotions lead to outward action, right? So if you have certain inclinations in politics and certain beliefs that trended one way or the other, you probably found yourself feeling very angry. And then that anger turned into some outbursts at some people, maybe on social media or something. I'm not saying that that's good. I'm just showing you the anatomy of that. Guys, our beliefs about what is true, what we're truly, deeply convinced of, 
those shape our feelings and our passions and our appetites. And then that's going to translate into our actions. In other words, beliefs create feelings and feelings create actions. Now there's a way that I can show you this that I, I know to be helpful. It's, it's a helpful way to show you. And, and I want to just go ahead and throw a big old apology out there for those of you who are going to feel a certain way about what's about to happen. I will tell you that what's about to happen has been uh, put before some of our church leaders and they said, yeah, go ahead, do it, it works. So if you're gonna get mad at somebody, it's not just me. Don't send an email to just me. You can talk to other leaders in our church too because they're the one who said, yeah, this is a great way to do it. Let's do it. So at this point, Lord help us. Jeff, if, if you're ready, go ahead and come on out. This is Jeff Moles. And with him, he's got a little friend named Cricket. That's a real snake. That is a ball python. No. Nope. <laughs> Ball pythons are <laughs> ball pythons are indigenous to Africa, different parts of Africa. Girl, you're exactly what I'm trying to demonstrate this morning. Thank you. So, this is a safe snake, not venomous in any way. How many of you are just kind of eked out by the fact that there's a snake in our room here? It's just making you really uncomfortable. Are you feeling afraid? How many of you would feel afraid? Right, so there's several people saying they're afraid of what's happening right now. How many of you are like, whoa, I'm, that's interesting, I'm curious, right? So, so for those of you who are afraid of snakes, you, what did you do? You ran out, you booked it. As soon as you saw it, you were like, gone, I'm out of here. Some of you, if you knew the snake was on the ground, you'd get up on your pews because you're scared of them, right? For those of you who are curious, what do you want to do? Do you want to come? You want to hold it? You want to pet it? Right? So let me, let me get to this. We have these emotions and we have these actions. But for those of you who are feeling afraid, why are you afraid? Because snakes are evil. Right? So, so you, could, you could look back at Genesis 3 and say, Satan first appeared as a snake, so all snakes are terribly wicked, they're ungodly, and they're going to hell for the rest of eternity, right? I, I don't believe that's scripturally arguable, to be honest, but others of you might say, well, snakes are dangerous, right? And that might have come from a memory that you got in the past. For those of you who are curious, why do you feel that way? Because snakes are interesting, or right? snakes are unique, or they're cool. So those are your convictions. Do you see how that works? You have half the people in here who have the conviction that this thing is an ungodly creature and you need to just get the shovel out. You have the other half of people in here with the conviction that snakes are cool and unique and they're not all bad and this one's not bad so I'm okay with it. You have people operating in different convictions, feeling different things, and therefore doing different things. Are you tracking with this? Your beliefs are your convictions and you're feeling them and you're acting them out. So at this point, I think we've all had enough of our friend Cricket. <laughs> Thanks, bud. 
I appreciate it. I thought that was a snake hand. I said, nope. (laughs) Our convictions shape our emotions, which shape our actions, right? If you think that this was just a neat little one-off illustration, let's go to Jesus himself. Look at Mark 6.34. What happens? What does he say? When Jesus went ashore, he got off the boat, he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. So we've got those three core things, convictions, emotions, and actions, right? So, so let's first look at the emotion. What emotion did Jesus feel? Compassion. He felt compassion, empathetic. What action did he take when he felt that? He began to teach them. But at the core of it all, what conviction drove all of this? That they were like sheep without a shepherd. Our convictions shape our feelings, which then drive our actions. So are you you tracking with this? Try this out this week. I'm guaranteeing you, you're gonna find just how convincing this is. Examine yourself and take the time to pause when you find yourself feeling certain things. Be like, why am I feeling this? And then you get to your convictions. What we're convinced of in our inner life creates our emotions and feelings and passions which then translates into action. So can you now see why Paul puts the target of transformation on our convictions, on the renewal of the mind. Why does he place it there? Because it affects everything downstream, everything downwind. He says, hey, if you're, if you're gonna be transformed, it's gonna start with what you're truly convinced of in your heart because then when you're convinced of it, you're gonna find all these sorts of appetites and feelings and emotions welling up and results to them. And then from there, you're gonna be like, I've gotta do this and you take action. But it starts with the mind of our souls. It starts with our rationale. Paul puts the target on our conviction. So if we want to see God taking off the old, to be cooperating with God and taking off the old corrupted self and putting on the new godly self, then, then being renewed in the mind, having our core convictions brought into what God says is true will radically change everything about us. It'll change how we feel, And what we do, right thinking leads to right feeling and right action. So if if those of you who were just utterly terrified of that snake, again, I'm sorry, but it it was more so your beliefs that did you wrong than than me, right? (laughs) You'll find that out later. (laughs) But if those of you who were terrified, and I apologize, I I know that that's an emotional thing for some people, but if you suddenly became convinced that it was a safe and friendly snake, then would you feel fear? Most most likely not. Maybe a certain respect for it, but not terror. You might might be curious. The same thing happens in godliness, right? I mean, Paul gives us some several examples following this passage. We didn't read through them. I'm gonna just point out a few. So if you go to like verse 25, look at verse 25. He says that we should put off what? We should put off lying, That's part of the old self. We should put off lying and we should do what? 
Speak truth. We should speak truth each to our neighbor. So there's the old self going and there's the new self coming. But what conviction drives that? What conviction do we need to have within us in order for us to see the old self gone and the new self come in how we speak to one another the truth? What is it? He says that we are members of one another. We should speak truth to one another because we are of the same body. We belong to the same body. So, for example, why would your foot try to deceive your hand? Why would your eye try to deceive your brain? Doesn't make sense. It'd be illogical. So we need to have the conviction that we belong as one body together. And when we find that, oh, I don't want to deceive another part of my body. Mm. So there's that. Or, or what, about, what about verse 28? If you, you can just take a look at it. He talks about the thief. He calls out the thief. And there's all sorts of ungodly motivations and convictions that a thief might have that motivates the feelings of envy or lust that then creates the desire in the action of stealing. There's all sorts of convictions, right? Convinced maybe that God won't provide him everything that he needs, or, 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 or convinced that, that God doesn't care about what's, what he's doing, right? There's all sorts of convictions that can do that. But if he holds to the right convictions, like for example, that it's a good thing for everyone to work hard in an honest way and be generous with what they're given, if that's the conviction that's within, then you're gonna find him motivated to doing good work and obtaining what's right and good, not stealing from others. What about in verse 32? Verse 32, ooh, this is, a, this is a tough one. He says this, verse 32, he says, Paul tells us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Okay, there's our action, there's the new self. Why? What conviction should we hold to in our souls? What conviction? The conviction of how greatly God has forgiven us. If we are convinced of how great God's forgiveness is for us, then we're gonna find a natural inclination effortlessly coming out of us to forgive those who have wronged us. That motivates humility and compassion. So we need to have our minds renewed. I'm not just talking intellectually. I'm talking about the inner rationale, how we believe, what we're convinced of. We need to have uh, an increase in truth in what we're convinced of ultimately. And there we're gonna find transformation. Now, one of the things that I, I, uh, we're kind of in this day and age where we feel like we have to put a caveat in everything just to make sure we're clarifying everything that we're saying. So I'm doing that right now. What I don't mean here when we say mind renewal is a bunch of knowledge accumulation. A bunch of knowledge accumulation. You know, get more intellectual, get more smarter, right? Get more knowledge. I'm not talking about that. So, so like, for example, if you can quote Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 in the Hebrew backwards, more power to you, but I don't see you being transformed much by that, right? You can do that, but it's safe to say that increasing in knowledge doesn't guarantee inner transformation in the soul doesn't, right? So secular historians and New Testament scholars that go to very liberal schools who want nothing to do with Jesus but can agree that Jesus existed and that he, has, like he was a person and, and talk about the facts of his life, that doesn't mean that they're saved. That doesn't mean that from their heart they believe in Jesus. Guys, knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing the truths 
about Jesus, as being convinced of them within your soul. Guys, you can be really smart and be very little like Jesus. So, so, so we're not after that, right? We're not after accumulating a bunch of knowledge. But I will say, again, I need to caveat it again, every part of scripture is so amazing. And every part is designed by God to build us up and encourage us and exhort us and make us more like God. So every part is worth studying and deeply looking at and enjoying. So I'm not saying don't really love your, your, your Bible. You should. But transformation, what we're getting after here, is the outcome of having our minds renewed, becoming truly convinced of what is true, knowing the truth in our inner life, in our heart, that goes beyond intellectual assent to the truth. So to put the main truth that we spoke of at the beginning in another way, what transforms us is being convinced of what is true. Can we read this together, church? One, two, three. What transforms us is being convinced of what is true. That assumes that not everything we're convinced of is true, right? There are things that I'm convinced of that aren't actually true. Because truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. And not everything within me is true. And that's what needs to change. Guys, this is so major. Because I can, I can, like we can all sit here and agree, yeah, this is intellectually, we agree with this whole concept, but not actually be convinced of it. So you can agree with something that's knowledgeably true and not be convinced. But we can also find ourselves being convinced of something that isn't true, and we can be totally unaware that we're convinced of it. Or we can also, you know what? We can also hold two contrary convictions that are both contrary to one another and act out of both of them. Because, you know, we just messed up. That's what James calls double-minded. Guys, the disciples did it. The disciples did it, right? Remember that story when they were in the boat? They were going across the lake and, or the sea and and the waves started rising and the storm rolled in. And Jesus, I mean, he's just catching some Z's in the back of the sleep like a baby. And they're terrified. They're convinced of what? They were going to die. They were convinced that they were going to die. They felt terror. And then they cried out in prayer, Jesus, save us. What does Jesus do? Kind of wakes up, yawns. Down. No, he doesn't do that. He's like, stop, cease, and everything gets still. And then what does he turn to the disciples and say? Does he say, you shouldn't have felt that way. Suppress that emotion. No, he said, you of little faith, why didn't you believe? You of little conviction, why weren't you convinced of what was true, right? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine if, what would happen if those disciples were convinced that Jesus' presence with them in the boat was enough to see them through the storm? Would they have felt terror? Church, would they have felt terror if they were convinced that Jesus being in the boat was enough to see them through the storm? Yes or no? No, they would not have felt terror. They would have felt peace, the fruit 
of the Spirit. So those are the disciples, but we do it all the time too, right? We can talk over and over again about how God provides all our needs. We sang about it earlier. We can go to Scripture and memorize Philippians 4.19 and say God will supply all our needs. And, And yet, we can find ourselves feeling very anxious and afraid about finances. When the bills start stacking up and you can't pay them and the account's running dry, we can find ourselves feeling afraid, which means, oh wait, I'm not exactly convinced that God will provide all my needs. But what if, what if we were truly convinced within our souls that God does supply our needs? Would we ever feel anxiety about paying our bills? The answer is no. The answer is no. Or, you know, we can all easily agree. We sing it, we repeat the phrase, God is good, and all the time. And we can sing about it, and we can pray, and we can think upon that over and over again. And yet, when we lose someone very close to us that we love, or we enter into some sort of crazy trial, and things get really hard in life, we lose that conviction, and we find ourselves struggling with doubt, and angry, and we distance ourselves. But what if, within our souls, we were truly convinced that God's goodness never changes day to day, and every day it stays the same? No matter our circumstances, would we ever truly raise a fist at God and say, God, you've lost your goodness? No. Instead, we would sing out, God, you're so good, from a place of peace within So what we need most is for God to convince us of what is true about him, about us, and about the world around us, and about the church, and about what we're to be doing. We need him to convince us of what is true every day. So can you see now why we should put all of our spiritual effort and all of our holy sweat into cooperating with God's spirit to renew the ways of our thinking in the innermost recesses of who we are? Can you see that that's why at the core of transformation lies in mind renewal and our convictions and our beliefs? That's what we need for transformation. Guys, this is what Jesus prayed for in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by what? Truth. Your word, God, is truth. In other words, sanctify is another word for set apart or make them different. We're not conformed to the world, we're transformed above it. So transform them, make them like me by the truth. So not only did Jesus pray that, but he sent his spirit to do this very thing. Look at John 16, verse 19. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into what? All truth. All truth. We've got God at our full disposal to renew our minds in every way possible. And finally, didn't Jesus say, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So not only are we sanctified by the truth, not only does God's spirit lead us into all truth, but Jesus himself is the truth. Jesus himself is the truth. We saw that back in verse 21. You should hopefully still have your Bibles open. Verse 21, Paul says, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that, that's what made Jesus so perfect, so beautiful and admirable and so purposeful in everything that he did. That's what makes us want to be more like Jesus in every way possible. It's why God is making us grow into Jesus in fullness in every way possible. It's because Jesus is the purity of truth. Can we say that and agree this together? One, two, three. Jesus is the purity of truth. Guys, look at verse 24. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Some of your translations say holiness. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's wrong. It's, it's the truth that is the noun, and it's the holy that is the adjective. The holy truth, the set-apart truth, the perfect, purified truth. That's the image that God is shaping us into, that we would be finding our, within ourselves the purity of truth. Jesus was convinced of absolutely everything that was true. Have you ever thought about that? Everything Jesus believed he was convinced of was the truth. So this is why he stood firm when Satan's temptations were thrown at him because he was convinced that all that Satan was offering were just lies and deceit. Or, or when, when Jesus shared the gospel of the kingdom with those half-breed Samaritans who the Jews had rejected for years and years, you know, he was convinced that God's kingdom was meant for the people like them, meant for people of all different ethnicities and tribes and languages and tongues. Jesus was convinced in the garden, right, when he was begging God to take the cup of his wrath away from him, he left convinced that God's will was better to be done than his own. Or, or what about when Jesus was betrayed by one disciple, abandoned by all, and then denied three times by another? He was still convinced his father was with him. As Jesus was so perfectly convinced of all truth that everything he felt and everything he did was perfect too. And that is what we're being invited into in the Christian life. Can you see now why Satan is so infamously known as the deceiver? Because he wants us to believe what's not true. To deceive us, to cause us to believe things that are false. So like the, the, the action of adultery or pornography coming out of the feeling of lust, rooted in some really wrong beliefs. Or what about the, the, the verbal boasting of, of my own greatness Stemming from the feeling of pride rooted in wrong beliefs about my nature and who I am. No, what we need is truth, and this is what transforms us, brothers and sisters. Being convinced of what is true, having our minds renewed. So we put ourselves 
in the position to be exposed to what is true every day. So the spiritual disciplines aren't just simply a work. They're an environment for us to have the sails of our souls lifted and hopefully the wind of God speaks truth and moves us forward in Christ-likeness. So we expose ourselves every day to the goodness of the truth that is in this. And we, we come and we gather together as the church and we, we hear this goodness preached and we study this deeply and we go into one another's homes and we talk about it over and over again just of all the truth that we're learning about God and about ourselves and about the world around us. And, and we get together and we sing our songs on what is true because it's renewing our minds which then shapes our feelings and it makes us do things more like Christ in every way. So that we might be transformed. Are you convinced of this? Do I need to bring out another snake or something? As we're going to find out more about this in the weeks to come. But for today, right now, and my challenge for you this week is for you to simply acknowledge that everything that comes out of you isn't always good. To acknowledge that there are things that you believe that are not true. Start there and then press into this reality that you have God's spirit dwelling in you and he wants to convince you of what's true about you about your past, about your family, about the world around us, about God. My challenge to you this week is for you to go before God in prayer and say, all right, God, speak what is true. Here's my heart. Speak truth to it. Convince me of what is true. In fact, there's a song that I would challenge you to listen to and make it your prayer. It's called, Here's My Heart. You can hear it from I Am They or Casting Crowns. You can hear it from Crowder. The song just simply says, Here's My Heart, Lord. Speak what is true. That's my challenge for you this week. And I'm gonna pray that God meets us in powerful ways as he convinces us of what is true. Let's pray for that right now together. Let me pray for you. King Jesus, you are the purity of truth. You are exalted to the highest place in our lives such that what you believed we want to believe. What you perceived when you saw certain things, we want to perceive. What you felt we want to feel. What what you did we want to do. We want to be like you, Jesus. And we are understanding now more and more that in order for that to happen, we must have our minds renewed. So God, I just pray over our church family. I realize that that there's a a composition composition within each and every one of us of, of really light, easy convictions and really deep, difficult, unknowable convictions. And yet your spirit knows the depths of us. And only your spirit can expose us to who we are and what we're convinced of. And so I pray, God, that this week our church family would have such a vibrant relationship with your all-knowing, all-searching spirit that we would find ourselves 
ultimately understanding more and more of the things that we're convinced of that are leading to broken feelings and emotions and actions. And that you would speak what is true in the areas of beliefs that are false within us so that we might be more like Jesus. Only you can do this, God. So we look to you and I pray that we as a church would find ourselves more and more inclined to this. We love you. You're so good. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.